the gospel, there's a hardened sense, not only among who would say are those that seem obviously lost or separated from, from God, but among the professing church. Here's our point. Number one, a true discipleship reveals a sense of urgency. As Jesus brings home this text to bear, the disciples that Jesus is instructing, both from John chapter 8 and here in Matthew 16, they're hearing, they're believing, they're obeying. Secondly, we see that true discipleship is personal. Verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. For the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite title and reference to Himself. It brings into vogue Old Testament language from Daniel. It's, it speaks of the fact that He's the Son of Man. He is the incarnated God in flesh. Both God and man. Literally, the god Man, he's speaking of himself in third person here. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. This is personal. Verse 24, as he's already referenced, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Two times, me, the Son of Man. Verse 27, the Son of Man, the one who's coming in authority and power as judge. You need to understand this morning that your eternal destiny hinges and is connected to what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the Son of Man? Who is He to you? Now, what do you believe Him to be? Is He a good person or a good teacher? No, 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 no. He must be your Savior and your Lord. He must save you from all of your goodness as well as all of your sin and iniquity that violates His holiness, His truth, His law, His justice. Jesus is your eternal destiny. And the power of the living, uh, living now hinges upon your relationship with Him. And so it's a reminder to us that the gospel is not just for when we die. The gospel for, is, what, what am I going to do not only then, but how am I going to live today? How am I going to continue? It's in the trust and power and relationship with this Son of Man. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. Notice how personal this is. Who loved me, and He gave Himself for me. It's this Son of Man, verse 27. This is His favorite designation for Himself. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel was given the heavenly vision, and he says, And I saw watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now notice here, notice, I'm trying to bring some of these prophetic passages from Revelation and Daniel into Vogue here, filling in the gaps. It's this Son of Man who's coming. It's this Son of Man who's coming in power and in judgment. Daniel 7, 14, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is the kingdom that Jesus is revealing to his disciples. This is the kingdom that they think is happening now. And he says, no, 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 no. That's the new birth kingdom. That's the gospel kingdom. How you know this kingdom is coming is by the power that I'm showing you and displaying for you. When I call exercise power over the spiritual realm, when I show and exercise power over the physical realm, as we've seen in Matthew's Gospel, 
when I show and exercise power in all these different realms, healing diseases, the sick, the halt, the maimed, the blind, casting out demons, stopping the storms, the winds, the waves, these all show that I am who I say I am. And how we can know that this is coming, this kingdom, Daniel 7, 14, is by the gospel's power in my life that helps break the chains of canceled sin, that, that gives me new eyes and a new heart, gives me new desires. How do I know that that kingdom's coming? It's because the things I once loved, I now hate. And like a dog returns to his vomit, sometimes I do, and my goodness, I'm reminded how vomity it is. And how much I need his cleansing and his grace. First John 1 John 1.9. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One more. Revelation 14.14. 14, then I looked, John says, and I behold, I saw a white cloud. And on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Notice in both passages, the Son of Man is brought in here. is teaching us about who he is. And here Jesus says, and the Son of Man is coming. And I saw one like the Son of Man having his head, on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is where Jesus is talking about, as we've seen in the parables previously, he will separate the wheat from the chaff. There's a great separation between the sheep and the goats. This is that Son of Man. But here's the good news of the gospel here this morning. That Son of Man as judge is not here yet this morning. But he could be in moment. That's the tension with which we live in. Hear the gospel call. Hear the good news of Christ. Hear his call to you this morning. Be reconciled to your God. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Again and again, we see throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the call of God is, is to come. Why must we come? Who are we coming to? Well, we, Matthew has shown us again and again, this is Jesus' first advent. This is his first coming. And how has he come? Well, he's come as the sacrificial lamb. He, he's come as Savior. And he's come as Lord. And he calls us to bow the knee to repent. Remember Matthew chapter 4. John, Jesus picks up John's message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's imminent. It's nigh. It's weighty. This is his first coming. But his second coming is what he's talking about here. When he comes, the Son of Man, when he comes, verse 27, as judge, as king. How do we know? How do we know he will come? Well, again, we point back to the reality of the power of the gospel in our own lives. And if you say, well, I can't do that. Well, then, friends, seek him while he may be found. If it's just words to you, if it's just profession to you, if it's just habit to you, if it's on Sundays this is what we do, then you do not know what it means to walk in newness of life. But, friends, if you can point back to your own conversion and you can testify of what Christ has done in your life, then all glory be to Christ. We rejoice with you as you see and witness that you are a new creature in Christ and know that he is coming with 10,000 of his saints. 
John chapter 3, verse 17 reminds us that Jesus has come the first time, this time, even now. We're in this age of grace. John 3, 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Let me ask you a question. As we've seen in John's account and this account, is Jesus leaving them or are they leaving Him? Who's leaving who? Hear the word of the Lord. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 12, 47, If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word, notice here, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. When Jesus opens the books, the books will do the accounting. The facts will speak for themselves as he judges each man according to his works. And friends, when he looks at you, whose works will he see there? Will it be yours or will it be Christ? And friends, you want, to, you want it to be Christ. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, are we say, but it's by His mercy, Christ's mercy. Who's His? His mercy. Christ's mercies that we, are, that we are saved. Friends, why has Jesus come? He's come to seek and to save the lost. And here's the good news. It's all of us. Everyone in here this morning is someone who's heard the gospel or needs the gospel. Everyone in here this morning is either someone who was once lost and once blind, but now they see, or you're still blind and you need to see. We're just simply beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and be saved. Back in our text here, verse 27, true discipleship is urgent. True discipleship is personal. This is relationship. The Son of Man both saves and he will also come as judge. Thirdly, true discipleship recognizes the glory of Christ by faith, as we saw in Mike's scripture reading this morning. We walk by faith and not by sight. For all of us must give an account before God. Notice verse 27. It recognizes the glory of Christ. For Jesus says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Those who have ears to hear, as Jesus often likes to say, Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Understand that this is perceptive discipleship. Knowing this reality, seeing the glory of Christ with eyes of faith until one day our eyes of faith see him literally. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 4.16. As we live in the gospel, as we live in this life that God has ordained and placed us where we are, as we seek to be faithful as men and women, mothers and fathers, listen, it gets hard. Life is hard. Sin is hard. Living in this broken world is hard. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to our own sanctification and discipleship. But Paul says this, reminding us, true discipleship recognizes the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. For even though our outer man, our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For this light affliction, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, in other words, we don't walk by the senses, we don't live in the physical realm alone, 
That's what the lost man does. That's what those who have not been given new eyes, a new heart to see. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, and you can put in there only, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, passing, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Jesus' disciples see his true glory. They hear his word and they obey. They say, Lord, teach me. I want to learn. Teach me. I want to worship. Teach me. I want to understand so that I may obey. And as Jesus is here doing just that, he's fulfilling Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. It describes him as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And that's why many turned away. They have eyes of flesh. Wait, this Jesus? This son of a, this is Joseph's son. This is Mary's son. Like, what, what is he even talking about? We're going to follow him? Now, when he was passing out bread and performing miracles, that was fun. But what's this? Oh, you can have it. They're viewing him as a root, Isaiah 53, as out of dry ground, who has no form or comeliness. This humble, plain, son of man, servant, is saying, listen, I'm coming. I'm coming as judge. Today, come and bow the knee. Take up your cross and follow me. Verse 27 here points us to the radiant glory fully revealed. It shows us of who he is both now, but who he is in all of his glory with his angels. It helps us to understand that he is the son of God. He is the creator of everything. He is the king of all. He is, as Paul describes in Colossians 1.15, he is the image. Who is this? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, Christ, and for him, Christ. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Church, behold your king. He's coming. He's the head of this church. And he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Here he is the glorified son of man, the son of God who saves, and he will mete out justice. Listen, this week, riding down the road, listening to a wonderful children's audiobook dramatization uh, that our kids enjoy. But parents, you can't ever just check out, right? So we're sitting there driving down the road, and the, uh, the character is telling the young child in the story that God's love is greater than his justice. He's almost tripping over himself and apologizing over, over God's justice, trying to minimize God's justice. And I just had to hit pause. And I just said, whoa, 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 kids. Let's just talk about this for a second. And now, whoa, 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 church. Let's talk about this for a second. What Jesus is showing here is, he said, listen, he's coming. And he will be just as glorified in the administration of his judgment and justice and equity than as, excuse me, as he is in his love and display for sinners upon the cross. Jesus' love is not to the shame of his justice. Jesus' love is not so great. And listen, it is great. It's greater than we could ever imagine or understand. We can't wrap our minds around his love. But friends, the love of Christ, the love of God is not the only attribute of God. And here, Jesus wants us to know that he's coming in judgment. And it's just a matter of time. 
Jesus is not ashamed of his judgment or his justice. Jesus, here, a true disciple understands that this is a part of his glory. It's because God is a good God that he will judge. He will judge me and he'll judge you. And he will see who, who is the righteousness on this account. Is it their own works of righteousness or is it my sons? Are they clothed and robed in the righteousness of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to know this morning, Jesus is not ashamed of the Father's judgment. In fact, here he says, I will judge. And so just to make sure you understand, God is glorified in all of his attributes. And none of his attributes is he outweighed in one or the other. One, there, if you could view a circle, like a spoke on a wheel, and you have God, our triune God in the circle, and off of that you get spokes on the wheel, and you could put his mercy, his grace, his righteousness, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his immutability, his holiness, his sovereignty. We just start to go through his attributes. It's not like, as some people today believe, well, this one's bigger, and this one's smaller, and this one's medium-sized, like the planets in the galaxy. No, 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 no. Listen, God is equal and bound. He's perfect in holiness and justice and love and in immutability and righteousness and in holiness. And you need to understand this. When Jesus comes, a true disciple understands and takes Jesus at his word that he is coming. And when he comes, he will be just as glorified in judging sin and blasphemy and all those who hate him as he is in saving sinners who call upon his name. Now, I get it. So for some of you, that's a hard pill to swallow into stomach. But behold our God. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. So much more we could say there that time does not allow us to say this morning. Fourthly, verse 27. True discipleship understands that Christ will fully judge. I've got my head of myself on this point. Notice here, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. He will render, verse 27, this word reward means to repay. As it's used in scripture, literally to give back. It's used in ways that describe in the sense of obligation, to practice reciprocity, or in, in the ways in the sense of judgment, to exact retribution. But either way, he will do this. Verse 27, he will reward, repay each according to his, his works. Romans 12, 19, this word is used in this way. Teens, you'll recognize this from our Bible study, where Paul instructs the church, uses the same word in this way. Paul says to the church, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is what Jesus is talking about. I will repay. When the Son of Man comes... In his glory, he will come and he will reward each according to his works. As we round out the message this morning, I think it's important that we make this point. God does not see us in the sense of groups, modern theory, social justice theory, other modern ideas are, are, are training us to think in the sense of groups. We're just kind of lost in the groups. No, friends, listen. It's not me and my friend and my parents, or it's not, it, it's not my family group, it's not my, my friends and my social strata group, it's not my ethnic group. It's no, there's no groups. Notice, notice what verse 27 says, we, he will judge each one according to his works. Hebrews 9.27, as is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. 
Psalm 69, excuse me, Psalm 62, verse 9. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you render to each one according to his, according to his work. Friends, who's going to do this? Well, according to our text, Jesus is. And so we must flee the wrath of God to come. If you're lost this morning, you will give an account before him. Children of God, listen, we will give an account of our stewardship before him just to make application here. Yes, saved eternally, justified in him forever. But friends, that does not preclude the fact that we will give an accounting to him for all that he has given to us. We see this in the Gospels. The just landowner, those who give an account, his stewards who give an account to the master, the owner. Or what have they done with their talents? Literally the money, the talent, stewardship of Time, possessions, opportunity, resources, but we will give an account to him. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn together to John 3. I want us to go back to verse 17 and round out our text for this morning. This has been shotgun style. I thank you for your patience as we walk, not only walk through verse 27, but try to tie in a lot of these loose ends as we think about Jesus' call to discipleship. Here, this text makes clear that Jesus is coming. But today, hear the gospel call. Today, remind yourself of when you trusted in the gospel, which is, what is the gospel? It's the good news of the finished work of Christ. Turn with me to John 3, verse 17. And let's conclude with what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus as he tells Nicodemus about the state of man and why he has come. And we extend that gospel call even to here this morning. John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is why men will be judged. That the light has come into the world, the light that is Christ, John 14 he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. That this is, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. Me, light. And men love their darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen. That they have been done in God. Friends. Come to Jesus. Don't harden your heart. Don't run from light. Don't run from the truth. Come to him and bow the knee and confess your need of him. Confess your sin to him and take him as Lord and Savior. Place your trust and your faith in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. For he's coming. And today is the day of salvation. And either way, you need to hear this, Jesus will be glorified in you, one way or the other. He'll either be glorified in your salvation, or he'll be glorified in your judgment. When it comes to kings, excuse me, judges today, don't think too deep about that. The concept of justice, the concept of a just judge, 
If the judge is just, if he is good, if he is a good judge, he exercises justice. When a known murderer, when a known, you name the crime, let's say he comes into a town and bloodshed is done, people cry out for what? For justice. They cry out for vengeance. And that's why Paul gives that instruction to the church. Vengeance, Jesus says, is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Because he's a good God. Because of, in this concept I just gave to you, the judge is a good judge. He will administer the law. And because God is a good God, he will execute justice. That's why he sent his son. Run to Christ. He took the wrath for you. He took your place. In our place, condemned, he stood. Confess your need of him. Turn to him and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your help and your grace and your assistance this morning. Father, would the gospel go forth and reign? Everything else, Lord, would it perish? Anything that came out of my mouth this morning that was not of you, would it fall to the ground, fly away in the wind, but would your word abide forever? Father, the most infallible part of any message or service is the word of God. It's why we here at Grace, Lord, plant everything in it. Would you take your word and bless it? Father, would you soften the hearts of men who are here this morning? Would you show mercy and grace? You've allowed everyone here this morning to be here for such a time as this. Would it not be wasted? Father, would you bring many sons and daughters to glory? Would you strengthen the hearts of the frail, the feeble? Would you give courage to those who need it? Would you give boldness and a knowledge of yourself, where in the fear of the Lord there is strong zeal and confidence. Lord, would you fix our faces like a flint upon your kingdom and our role in it? When is the last time, Father, we've translated this, this clear articulation of discipleship? And when's the last time we've shared the gospel, preached the gospel? Lord, who are we burdened over and praying for? In what ways are we serving your kingdom? supporting it, establishing it, being used of you as wise stewards. Holy Spirit of God, would you apply your word to your church? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.